Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Hope you're enjoying your weekend. Later, U.S. Senator Rand Paul talks with us from Washington about a couple of issues swirling there, the impeachment inquiry and gun safety. That's later. But first, a visit with Ben Chandler of the Foundation for a Healthy Kentucky. There are lots of major health issues in Kentucky right now. Vaping is being called an epidemic among young people. It's getting national and statewide attention. Twelve deaths are now linked to vaping related illnesses and now we have word that people's pets are getting sick from eating flavored vaping materials. Some states have banned flavored vaping products and a Kentucky town last week included vaping in its local indoor smoking ordinance. Where is the Commonwealth on marijuana? The foundation is out with a new estimate of how many use it in Kentucky and why. Some propose medical marijuana. Others say legalize and tax it for recreational purposes. Others say it's a bad idea at all to stamp OK on marijuana. Chandler's a former Kentucky congressman, attorney general, an auditor who runs, once ran for governor, but this job is a true mission for him because in all the other posts he's held, the poor health of Kentuckians always came up, right? No doubt about it. Been involved thing. in health yeah. issues forever in Kentucky, of course, as we know, has had lots and lots of challenges uh, health-wise. We appreciate you coming in. It's good to see uh, you. It's always good to see you. Uh, vaping, uh, such a huge issue around the country. We are getting this word of, uh, of 12 deaths uh, related in some way to vaping uh, here in recent weeks. Uh, you know, what's going on? What do parents out there need to know? Well, first of all, this is a rel relatively uh, recent phenomena. Uh, we've seen vaping numbers, particularly amongst young people, double or more than double just in the last couple of years. So it is an epidemic, no question about it, and we're tremendously concerned. Uh, parents need to know that it's not safe. That's the first thing they need to know. Uh, but we have seen uh, the numbers mushroom, uh, we're worried about nicotine addiction. What it boils down to is that a whole new generation of Kentuckians are being uh, addicted to nicotine, and it's a problem. I met with a class of students yesterday at UK, and they said several of their peers uh, were clearly addicted and couldn't even study without vaping now. They had to vape just to, to be able to focus on what they were doing. It, it's a tremendous concern. It uh, stunts brain development, nicotine does in young people. And we've got uh, a percentage, 20% of young people, uh, over 20% now, of high school and middle school kids are vaping. Uh, that compares to the rate amongst the adult population of only 8%. So this is really something that, that is most prevalent with young people, which is not what it was supposedly intended to do. And but part of the problem are the flavors. Well, I was going to ask you about that. Because so many of them are enticed, apparently, into it with the flavoring and then become addicted. Right? Well, that's right. Bubble gum, cotton candy, uh, lots of fruit flavors. All these flavors are very attractive to young people. Uh, they uh, become addicted very, very quickly. Nicotine is an incredibly addictive substance. Ask anybody who's tried to quit smoking. And they're getting the nicotine through these products uh, in very concentrated levels. Uh, one little pod uh, of, of liquid is uh, equivalent to at least a pack of cigarettes worth of nicotine. And in some cases kids are vaping as many as eight pods a day. 
And we had a, a news story this week that, uh, you know, people's pets are now getting into it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th th I don't know what to say about that, but, but you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's unbelievable how prevalent this is becoming. And what we didn't expect, frankly, was all the lung diseases. We've had over 800 cases in the country of lung diseases, serious lung diseases, which you mentioned earlier, uh, in which uh, at least 12 people have actually died. Uh, most of those cases are amongst uh, uh, relatively young people, healthy, otherwise healthy people. And it's, uh, it's just a very deep concern. So, problem identified, what do we do? Got lots of solutions. Uh, one of them is to ban the flavors. Another one is to uh, raise the age from 18 to 21. We think that would have a, a significant impact. Another one is to tax the products. There's no excise tax on uh, vaping products now in Kentucky. Uh, if we could just just raise that tax up to the level, say, that cigarettes are taxed. Uh, we would see a, a tremendous effect on youth use because young people are particularly susceptible to uh, price. They don't have a whole lot of ready money, you know, so that it will reduce the usage. Uh, education is another thing. We've got to educate people. One thing we found out across the state is kids, parents, teachers, they didn't really know that this was bad for you. Uh, the marketing by the companies essentially gave the impression that, and, and by calling it vapor too, it makes it sound harmless. Uh, it's not harmless, but they gave the impression that it was, so uh, we've got to get that education out to people in Kentucky that this is not a harmless product. So some legislation, uh, some getting directly to people, yeah, sort of lots of lots of things. You got to do four or five different things to really impact it, and and we're uh, we're working on that. You spoke about marijuana this week, and uh, some new information that uh, people can consider as we uh, head toward a legislative session in Kentucky, and uh, as uh, people uh, let their lawmakers know how they feel about the subject. Uh, medical marijuana has failed to pass in the legislature so far. Uh, we have seemed far away from recreational marijuana being sold in this state as it is in some other states. Uh, what do your numbers show? Well, first of all, the, the foundation has not taken a position on right. this subject in terms of whether it ought to be legalized or not. Uh, but what we have said recently is that uh, we think this is coming. Uh, based on the public support, based on the fact that 33 other states have already passed med medical marijuana, 12 states have just legalized it outright, including the nation of Canada. Uh, so we think it's coming, plus the polling shows 93% of adults nationally are in favor of legalizing medical marijuana and 66% are in favor of just outright legalizing marijuana. So basically what you've got is a grassroots movement in this country heading toward the legalization of this substance. So what we have said is if you're going to legalize it, Kentucky, let's look at the public health issues that are involved. Let's, let's see if we can deal with the issues that we can anticipate if it's legalized. And, the, and among those are? Well, among those are, uh, what about the revenue? How much revenue can you get? Where will it go? Uh, you've got issues like uh, driving while under the influence. How are we gonna deal with that issue? Uh, we wanna have proper, uh, uh, warnings in place for potential health problems. Uh, we, of course, take the position that you ought not breathe anything into your lungs other than oxygen. And uh, it's probably not real healthy to breathe marijuana, to inhale it, 
uh, you know, it, it's, it's best not to. So we don't know all of the health problems, but we know that it's probably not good for you for a number of reasons. And the evidence is not particularly clear about whether it helps with certain medical conditions either. It's an intoxicant. There's no question about that. It makes you high. And just the fact that it's an intoxicant may help some of those conditions. So even if there uh, comes to be, for a myriad of reasons, legalization, either of medical marijuana or recreational marijuana, you would say that Kentucky certainly needs to have safeguards in place? No doubt about it. We, we need to have whatever measures need to be put in place to mitigate any p potential harmful effects. Uh, we want to regulate it and, it, and you know, we don't want to encourage uh, use of the product by everybody, but already, right now, even with the product illegal, we believe that as many as a half million Kentuckians are using it, right now, as an Ill illegal product. So, you know, you have to recognize that. Uh, one of the things that I think a lot of people liken it to is what happened in the 1920s with alcohol. We went through prohibition. We tried to prohibit alcohol for a decade or so. It didn't work. I think everybody in the country pretty much understood that it didn't work. The same thing, arguably, is true with marijuana. We have tried to interdict it. We've tried to make it illegal. We've tried to stop its use, and essentially, People are using it anyway. Jails are full and, uh, and attorneys are busy uh, in dealing with... Uh, well, with that's exactly right, system, and that's right? another issue that yeah. we need to confront. How much money is spent trying to stop this? How many people are getting criminal records as, uh, for their use of it, and how much damage is being done in that respect? Are you surprised, though, at how uh, quick the change in attitudes about this seems to have been? And, and again, there is there are people who strongly oppose it out there, and we're that's very, right. very well aware of that. And you have laid out the potential uh, problems that could come from it. And yet the polling suggests that uh, most people uh, favor taxing and, and legal. Most people favor it, and I think that's a recognition, ultimately, that we've been unable to stop it. And just from a practical standpoint, we need to regulate it, and we actually may be able to mitigate the harms better that way than by keeping it as an illegal product. Uh, that's the argument that a lot of people put forward. And uh, I think there is... Uh, a, a tremendous amount of validity to that argument. But be that as it may, it's coming. In, in my mind, it's coming because of the public, huge public support for it, really. And the other thing that's interesting is that it uh, tracks by age. The younger you are, the more likely you are to support it. Support for it, uh, for total legalization, for instance, amongst uh, voters, say, 18 to 34, is in the 70s. Voters from 34 to 55, it's in the 60s. Mm -hmm. And voters 55 and older, it's in the 50s. So the older you are, the less likely you are to support it, which tells me again, it's coming. With Ben Chandler from the Foundation for a Healthy Kentucky, he's celebrating some successes right now on health, especially in our schools. We're coming back to that in just a moment. We'll hear from a couple of members of Congress about uh, this week's uh, activity in D.C. We're coming back in a moment. 
Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers on WKYT. We are with Ben Chandler of the Foundation for a Healthy Kentucky, uh, a mission that he enjoys very much uh, in, in carrying out, and we thank you for coming. Uh, two successes that you're celebrating right now that have to do with uh, tobacco use among young people and particularly in our schools. We've had tremendous uh, public health successes. Two sessions ago, we got the biggest increase in the cigarette tax in the history of Kentucky, a 50 cent increase. Uh, the numbers are back for the first year after that went into effect. The Treasury got $140 million more, and we sold 36 million fewer packs of cigarettes here in Kentucky. So we, we saw the rate of use go down by 10%, by the way, compared to 3.5% the year before. Uh, so it went down tremendously and much more than the national average. So that was a big success. Uh, the second thing is uh, we got a piece of, of legislation that called for tobacco-free schools passed. Uh, that legislation has uh, been dramatically successful. Before the legislation, we had 72 school districts that were tobacco-free. And in two months since the legislation passed, we've gone from 72 to 155. We're almost to uh, a full tobacco-free status in our schools in Kentucky. And yet, uh, it's elusive for Kentucky to pass an indoor, uh, public indoor smoking ban statewide. The, the, the localities are doing it like a patch quilt. Well, it is elusive. Uh, we've been unable to get the legislature to agree to do it statewide at this point. Uh, we're working on that still. We're also working on the local communities to try to reach a tipping point. We've got an effort going in northern Kentucky right now to get those three counties to try to go smoke free. Uh, but but it's uh, it goes back to the tobacco culture in Kentucky. You know, we've got a, a long, long history of tobacco uh, grow, growing and, and use. We lead the nation in the number of smokers. So that gives you an indication of one of the reasons why it's hard. And as recently as the 1990s, we had 60,000 tobacco farms here in the state. So it, it's a tough slog. Yeah, still a big part of the economy. Yeah. The opioid crisis uh, is profound. It's affecting our families, our communities. As we know, we have these overcrowded jails. We don't have enough treatment options. We saw a slight decrease in overdose deaths. Are we making some progress? I think we're making some progress, but this is, uh, this is really just a... Con a continuing nightmare for the state. Uh, so many people have uh, been impacted by it. My own family's been impacted by it. it it's a tragic thing and uh, we don't really have any good answers because uh, uh, pain is a hard thing to deal with properly. And we've got prescription problems, we've got uh, uh, just a lot of issues connected with it, and it costs a whole lot to treat the problem. Uh, we don't know how to prevent it on the front end, we don't seem to, and uh, what we're throwing our money at is rescue. We're trying to rescue all these people who are already addicted. Uh, the best thing we could do, of course, is to limit the number of new people who get addicted, and that's uh, easier said than done. Well, uh, we want to thank you for coming in. I know we do have some successes out there, some programs that are being tried uh, in, uh, in parts of the state that uh, seem to be showing some promise. We Pre think so. Appreciate what you're doing. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Bill. Good to be here. We mentioned the impeachment inquiry that is underway, and we talked over the week with some of Kentucky's congressional delegation about that. Well, I think it's unfortunate that House Democrats seem to be careening from one baseless impeachment theory to another hoping to justify this uh, waste of time in the uh, in ju Judiciary Committee. 
the president released the transcript of this call uh, between him and the president of the Ukraine. And really what it shows ultimately as I read it is that the president was doing exactly what the Democrats have been asking him to do for two and a half years, which is to say to get to the bottom of Russian interference in the 2016 election. I think what it will, will show is that this president has consistently violated the Constitution and abused his power as president of the United States for personal or political gain. And we're coming right back on Kentucky Newsmakers. An interview with U.S. Senator Rand Paul is on the way next. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We have the opportunity to visit now for a segment with the U.S. Senator Rand Paul, Republican of Kentucky. And of course, as we know, the session of Congress has resumed for the fall and we'll see what they get done before the end of the year. But uh, Senator Paul, thank you uh, very much uh, for being with us. Uh, we're talking with you just after this House impeachment inquiry is uh, getting underway. Uh, Senator McConnell over in the Senate, uh, where this would go if there in fact uh, was an impeachment in the House, uh, has referred to the notion of impeachment of the president as laughable this week. Uh, what is your perspective as to where things are right now? I think the Democrats have made this very partisan. They've been very unhappy about losing the last election. It was very close. You know, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote but lost the Electoral College. And I think they've never really given up on that. They've continued to fight the election. We'll have another election. But I think this would be better off fought at the ballot box rather than, you know, making impeachment a real partisan thing. I think what they're accusing President Trump of doing is exactly what Vice President Biden did, but actually Vice President Biden was much more explicit. He went to Ukraine and said, I will cut off your aid unless you fire that prosecutor that's investigating the company that my son works for that he gets paid $50,000 a year for. So unpack that there's a lot of possibility for corruption there, but Biden threatened a foreign country with, with stopping their aid. President Trump actually didn't threaten them, but he did say we want help with your cooperation in investigating corruption. So I'm not so sure how they're any different. If anything, I would say Biden's saying you get no more aid unless you do X, Y, and Z is, is much more uh, to the point. His son had a self-interest in it. So I think if there's a condemnation, really Joseph, Joe Biden and his son and the whole corruption there, um, you know, Anything President Trump may have said or done pales in comparison to what the, what the Bidens did. Senator Paul, we all remember how you uh, went to Washington in 2010, part of the Tea Party movement. You ran as an outsider. You've been there now for, uh, for nine years or so. Uh, so give us a little perspective on how things work up there in terms of, uh, you know, it, it would seem that any investigation like this would be a matter of following facts, and yet... Republicans largely see it one way and Democrats see it another. And, in, you know, if to people who would be asked to sit as a jury and look at a set of issues or follow a trail of facts, uh, it wouldn't seem to them to be a, a partisan. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Each camp's going to retreat into their camp. That's about 40% Republican, 40% Democrat, and about 20% in the middle, and they'll sort of listen to this. But I think, frankly, within six months' time, everybody's going to be turning off their TV. I mean, I'm already tired of hearing about the Russian investigation uh, that went on for years and cost $35 million, and in the end, they found there was no malfeasance on the part of the Trump campaign. In fact, there's a question now whether that whole investigation started 
under malfeasance by intelligence community officials. So, no, I think that uh, we should have elections. We can have differences in elections, and you present your facts, and you can believe them or disbelieve them on both sides. And it's you know you have to. That's the onus of the the person running for office to to try to have good facts and 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 present them. But impeachment, making this criminal, I think is a big mistake. I think that the people, and particularly the public, is going to see this as uh, partisanship now becoming criminal. And I don't think we want to be like a lot of these third world countries that arrest and indict every, every, every other president. I just think that's not good for our country. Senator Paul, while Congress was on recess uh, in August, uh, there were two uh, mass shootings that got a lot of attention, one not so far away in, the, in the Dayton, Ohio, uh, the other out in El Paso, and there was uh, immediate call for uh, some kind of gun legislation or some kind of changes in laws that would make those types of events less likely. Uh, where are you uh, when it comes to, to making uh, any changes in the gun laws? You know, I think I'm like everybody else. I'm uh, emotionally overwhelmed by what happens in these shootings. I have uh, three sons, and I can't imagine them going to school and being shot at school or going to Walmart and being shot at Walmart. So I think we're uh, all together really just think that we need to do something. There's some disagreement on what we do. I'm reading a book right now called Why Meadow Died. It was a beautiful young girl who died in the shooting in Parkland, the shooting in Florida. And it's written by her dad. And he wanted to get to the bottom of this. He wanted to say, how could somebody have saved her lives and how could we save someone else's life like her daughter? And he's uncovered just amazing things. Has nothing to do with guns. It has to do with the school system leaving this rotten kid in school, this kid that was a sociopath and a homeopath. From the eighth grade on, teachers were saying he's a potential killer. He should never be left alone. They had special signals to send another student to the office. They were not to confront him because they were afraid of him. He was told not to bring his backpack because they already thought he would bring weapons to school. But there was a policy set in by a friend of the Obama administration that said we're going to reduce suspensions and we're going to reduce expulsions. But they didn't do it by making kids better. They just quit expelling kids. And they mainstreamed this kid that was a sociopath that from the eighth grade on, maybe seventh grade on, teachers were afraid of him. They were writing reports and basically they gave him like a some kind of charm circle token or a hope circle said here you go to the hope circle some kind of touchy-feely thing was supposed to make this kid better and he was seriously sick he probably committed 25 crimes and yet everybody all they can talk about is oh we just need to ban guns for everybody else no we need to ban guns from crazy kids like this so i think we need to do a lot more of studying sociopaths and studying these uh, homicidal kids and most of them are acting out. Most of them are sending signals. This kid was skinning animals alive. He was bringing mutilated animals to school. I mean, you name it. A lot of these things are felonies. Had he ever been convicted, had that sheriff down there that wants to ban guns actually done his job and arrested this kid and put him in jail, he wouldn't have had gun rights. And so I think we should do something about these things, but it need, we need to look at what happened in each of them and try to fix them. Uh, the El Paso shooter, his mom called the police but didn't leave her name. She was this close from doing it. We have to figure out how to get people more comfortable, and it's hard, frankly, probably to turn your son in, but her son had all his ammunition, and she was afraid of him, and she was afraid he was going to do something. But then it gets into the tricky aspect of, is fear enough to take someone's gun rights away? I'm not so sure fear is, but some of this is judged 
subjectively, you know, fear that they're going to take their life, fear they're going to take someone else's life. But ultimately, threatening someone is a felony. And people who threaten to kill and rape people like the killer in, in uh, Dayton, Ohio did, that's a felony. They should be tried, given a felony, and having their gun rights taken away. So I think there are things we can do, and I don't think we're doing enough to, be, to really go after uh, the bad people that live among us and try to catch them or stop them before they commit mass murder. Uh, Senator, are, are you in support of, uh, you know, so-called red flag laws or, or some kind of uh, additional authority for the authorities uh, to be able to identify uh, people who may have a troubled past? Under the Constitution, most crime, you know, is uh, adjudicated or uh, people are accused of crimes at the state level. So most of these things have to be done at the state level unless you commit a crime going across state lines. About 18, 20 states have looked at this and started doing this. Uh, in Kentucky, if you uh, are abusing your wife or your girlfriend, a man is typically a man doing this. Um, there is an emergency protection order and guns can be taken away. The important thing is that if you're going to do that, from a threat, there has to be a, a very shortly thereafter a real trial with a real judge, a real representation on both sides, and uh, the government should have the burden to prove that you are this threat. So I think you can have things like this. They need to be done at the state level, but you have to be very, very careful that we don't like say, oh, well, everybody on Prozac is mentally ill and should have their guns taken away. There's a real danger to just doing these indiscriminate blanket sort of uh, banning of who could have a gun. But if it's individualized with probable cause and there's a court case, by all means, let's take guns away from the people who are committing crimes and threatening people. Senator Rand Paul, thank you very much uh, for answering a few of our questions, and we'll uh, see what gets done, uh, certainly in these uh, closing weeks of uh, this uh, uh, session of Congress. We appreciate you very much for being with us from Washington. And that's Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you for joining us. Join us bright and early this week for WKYT This Morning, and you make it a good week ahead.